to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is July 20th, 2016, and I'm your host, William Hill. And today we're going to be sitting down and talking with uh, Jeff Kingswood. He is a, a minister in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, and we're going to be talking with him, as we did last year, uh, about the ARP General Synod that was held uh, this past uh, summer. Uh, Mr. Kingswood is the president, I'm not the president, he is the chairman of the Board of Trustees of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and we'll get to that discussion in just a minute. Let me uh, quickly uh, let everybody know uh, what we're doing on the podcast. It's it's similar to what I say almost every single time, um, but we are still actively working on topics, guests, book reviews, and, and, and so forth uh, for the program. And if you have suggestions or you have comments, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. If you want to find out what we're doing in more detail than just this little blurb I'm giving right now, you can go to our website at confessingourhope.com. Uh, in addition to that, of course, as a podcast of the seminary, you can uh, avail yourself of the seminary website. It's simply gpts.edu. And we do, of course, have this, the Summer Institute coming up and um, a host of other things going on in the summertime. We don't uh, we stay still pretty active, not as active, but active uh, to uh, put together some good classroom material. And so, um, again, you can find out more about that at our website, gpts.edu. Uh, so, as I said, we're going to be talking with um, Jeff Kingswood. He is a minister in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, ARP for short, or better known as the ARP. And we're going to be talking about its General Synod and, and some of the issues that were dealt with this year and, and kind of get a flavor for uh, what the ARP does as opposed maybe to what the OPC does or the PCA does each year. So, Jeff, it's good to have you back on the program. You did this last year, and so you're, you're an expert now. Yeah, it's good to be here, Bill. Thank you. You bet. That, Jeff, tell us uh, quickly, um, and I know we did this last year, but people have probably forgotten by now. Um, how did the ARP get its start, and what is its basic fundamental roots, theologically and otherwise? Theologically, it's a seceder denomination. It has its roots in both the Reformed Presbytery and the Associate Presbytery back in Scotland in the uh, 18th century and uh, the 1730s. And those denominations, which eventually became denominations, the Associate Presbytery and the Reformed Presbytery, uh, began sending missionaries to North America, and those missionaries in North America came to the conclusion that a lot of the issues that had separated them back in Scotland were no longer relevant, and so they uh, formed a, a denomination in North America, and it was a northern and southern denomination. Now, uh, after time and, and some of the issues were related to race relations and... and uh, yeah, the, the issues that were hot, antebellum, um, mm-hmm. the southern, the Car- Synod of the Carolinas uh, separated from the larger group. Now, that larger group eventually was absorbed into the PCUS, but the ARP in the south, as a synod uh, of the larger body, it continued as an independent synod for some time, and it has continued to grow and spread uh, both west and north. And now we have congregations as far north as uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, and uh, across the southern United States, uh, Texas, Arizona. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's growing. It's um, growing slowly. Uh, in some, it, statistically, actually, it's shrinking because some of our old 
congregations are closing their doors, but mm-hmm. uh, new congregations are springing up and being planted, and and so there's there's growth at the periphery and even at the heart. Um, but we are closing some of the older, smaller congregations. So statistically, it looks like we're, uh, in terms of number of congregations, that we're, we're shrinking a little bit. But uh, there are a number of exciting church planning works going on. So Fantastic. I know that those numbers don't, of course, show up as far as particularized churches, so it's a little deceptive then to, to say it's shrinking when in, indeed it probably isn't. Yeah, exactly. There's some debate about how you can interpret those figures. Sure. Now, you, you mentioned Canada. Um, tell the listeners where you're from and maybe a little of your background. I'm from southern Ontario, uh, just about an hour and a half west of Toronto towards Detroit, and in that little part of Canada that sticks down into the Great Lakes. Uh, I'm a minister of a ARP uh, church here in Canada that's about 16 years old. We joined mm-hmm. in uh, 2000, 2001. And uh, like a lot of the ARP congregations in Canada, our roots are coming out of some of the other mainline churches here where people are growing disaffected uh, because of the theological direction of those denominations. So Christian Reformed roots, Presbyterian Church in Canada roots, uh, those would be the majority of our members, and or at least the origins of our congregations. Now uh, the congregation is made up of a very diverse uh, variety of backgrounds. Sure. Now, now tell, tell the listeners also, as, as, aside from being a very busy pastor who's late for appointments, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> I, I was late for our appointment. Everybody might as well know now that I've said that because I got behind on my schedule. But tell, tell the listeners what else you do. What? I'm actually going somewhere with this. Okay. I'm, <laughs> as Bill has mentioned, I'm chairman of the board of the Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. I'm also a trustee of the Banner of Truth uh, Trust, which uh, I think most of your listeners will probably know publishes uh, reformed, historic, and contemporary reformed literature and uh, hosts pastors' conferences both in the UK and in the United States and Australia. And what else do I do? I, uh, I'm on, You're a husband. I'm a husband and father. I have 12 grandchildren and uh, six children. All but one married, and uh, I, I pastor congregation. Yep. Now, where I was going with it is is um, your relatively new appointment to the board of Banner. Um, I think a couple, couple years, years now. Yep. 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 And and the reason I wanted him to indicate that is many of you who listen to this podcast on a regular basis know that Dr. Piper does the faith and practice every month, and and you see me overusing Twitter and Facebook probably, and emphasis emphasis on overuse, um, promoting Banner of Truth as they work and team with us to get books into your hands by giving you a discount if you submit a question. And so there was a Actually, right. there was a method to my madness here. So uh, Jeff Kingswood is on the board of trustees. He's one of the guys that basically helps us do that work um, directly or indirectly. Um, but he's the also the father-in-law of the general manager of the United States um, wing of the Banner of Truth. And he directly is involved with the seminary as far as helping us do that with Dr. Piper's faith and practice. So you, you kind of see it's a small world, really, when you really get down to it. So it I is. just wanted to get that. That, get that in. Now, the ARP Synod this year uh, was held when and where? It was held the first week of June in Bon Clarken, North Carolina, which is uh, just a suburb of Hendersonville, really, just uh, near Asheville uh, sure. at our conference I, grounds. 
Yeah, and then you have it there every year. That's right. right. And 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 I so much appreciate uh, being a PCA guy, and not to besmirch the PCA. That's not my goal here, but I so much appreciate that as opposed to how we do it, um, just bouncing around all over the place. It gets very expensive and chaotic. Do you find your delegates or your commissioners or whatever you call them um, there is is the expense for them to go to the ARP synod very high? Um, not not really, because most of them come. Uh, you know, are able to drive within a day's drive of of the synod, and so their their travel expenses are relatively small. Now, as the denomination's expanding, it is more expensive. And some of our congregations up here in Canada, it can cost you know fifteen hundred dollars uh, to have somebody come down and and stay because each congregation bears the costs of of its travel independently. So sure. it, it can become very expensive for some of our outlying congregations. Do the commissioners, delegates, do they stay on the campus there? Some or do. do. Get- We've outgrown uh, Bon Clarkin in terms of its its carrying capacity. A lot of the older congregations uh, have mm. cottages on the grounds where their delegates oh, really? will stay, and and there are some beautiful hotel facilities that have been built there at Bon Clarkin in the last few years. If you're organizing a, a conference in the area, I urge you to check it out. Uh, but local hotels and uh, businesses often cater to some degree to the to the synod, so that's helpful as well. That's very good. Now, how long is the ARP synod? Is there a, 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 time, a hard a hard break, or is it just till it's done? It's just till it's done, and only once that I know of has that caused problems where people just had to leave because of travel plans, and we we ran out of uh, a quorum. But uh, generally speaking, we begin on Tuesday morning and uh, or early afternoon, and people begin arriving in the morning registering. But the synod begins on Tuesday afternoon, and we hope to be done sometime on Thursday. Usually, it's very compact and very efficiently run. The the staff uh, at our uh, ARP center in Greenville do a wonderful job of of getting all the reports together and just the committees. It, it's very well well organized. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, it, it is. Well, being well organized, that's a that's a good quality. Mm-hmm. Like you get chaos because I, I, how many? I mean, how many in attendance generally? Three hundred fifty to four hundred, depending on the year. It is a general assembly, even though we call it a synod. It is a general assembly, so every congregation is entitled to send uh, pastor and elder, and some of the larger congregations entitled to send more, depending on. Uh, the size of their congregation. So, yeah, you kind of um, answered the next question. We talk about the ARP, and it's, it's a synod, a general synod, and the PCA, the OPC, it's a general assembly. But it's functionally, it's, it's the same concept? It is. It is functionally. It, it, it retains the name synod from the time that it's separated from the larger uh, ARP uh, that existed before, you know, in the 1820s. And so it just retained the name of synod because it was a regional synod. Um, at that time, and it has just because of historical reasons retained the name, but it functions as a, a true general assembly with every congregation represented. All right. What What are the general distinctives of the ARP? As it maybe as you think about it, it in relationship to the PCA or the OPC, um, I realize we're all frater- we have fraternal relations with within ourselves, but does the ARP carry a certain distinctive that's as it were its own as opposed to the other two uh, big guys on the block yeah i would say that it's history it's maturity um mm. 
it's gone through different phases over the 200 and, and uh, I forget what synod this was, 213, I think. Um, wow. It's matured. It's gone through some stages. It, it flirted with liberalism in the uh, 70s and 80s and, and deliberately rejected that path, turned its back on that and, and turned in a more conservative direction again and uh, has taken uh, increasingly sound positions on a number of issues. Uh, and over time, over that period from the 70s and 80s till, until now, I think we've seen an increasing growth of, of conservative, historic, reformed uh, understanding in our in our synod and uh, attracting younger men who are uh, of that mindset and of that mm. conviction. So yep. it, that's been encouraging. What were some of the issues that w- you guys were wrestling with? I mean, I obviously I know the answer to that, but yeah. probably nobody else does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, a couple uh, key ones. One was uh, f- it's been an issue that we've been dealing with for a long time, and that's the relationship of the college and the seminary to uh, the synod. That was settled to some degree a few years back, but uh, the, the seminary and college boards were amalgamated, and that has caused some real tension, both financial and administrative, uh, in the seminary. And uh, the this synod actually supported a number of seminary professors had issued a a protest statement if you like and this synod actually affirmed <clears throat> excuse me affirmed those professors in what they had said and we directed that the entirety of the allocation uh the denominational ministry fund that that goes to Erskine uh, be directed to seminary purposes as opposed to generally being distributed to the college and the seminary and i think what you see there is a recognition that the college has deliberately seemed to go its own way for some time and tested attempts uh, at being directed by the synod. And so being fed up with that, I think, the, the majority of the synod said, no, okay, uh, we need the seminary. The seminary is uh, important to us, and so we're going to fund the seminary. And so the, the funds were delegated in their entirety to the seminary, and then following that, there was a motion that uh, the seminary be separated from the college, and that the oh yeah that the board so, so it was con- so they were connected. Um, in in what way were they connected? They they're connected geographically. They're on the same campus. Okay. In, in due west, and so you're t- you, so when you say they separated, you're you're talking about the separate government, as it were, exactly. a, aside from the denomination control, but a separate government entity of itself, a separate board. Right now, the board okay. of the college and the seminary are one. Uh, they weren't up until uh, several years ago, about five years ago, six years ago, and at that point, they were amalgamated. It was said for administrative and financial purposes, but it's only been to the detriment of the seminary, and so the the denomination seeing that has said, no, it's time we're going to separate them again and possibly relocate. That's also part of the discussion. Due West, South Carolina is uh, a pleasant little community, but it's not the place to locate a a theological seminary in the 21st century. So there's talk of possibly relocating to Greenville and uh, or or Columbia, South Carolina, where there's a, a satellite campus right now. So there are there's discussion and study going on as to where the seminary might possibly relocate. 
They they can't go to Greenville. There's already a really great school in Greenville. I told them that, but uh, <laughs> they uh, they they there's reason they have space in their administrative new administrative offices. So there, there's a possibility of hosting it there. It would be at the other end of Greenville, away from sure. Taylor's. Uh, well, you know, it's it's yeah. I always try to find an opportunity to, to accentuate or to highlight the seminary. It's a podcast. Yeah, in the I okay. I. And I'm a graduate of the school, That's and right. I love Greenville oh, Seminary. And, and just as and, and and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that. Obviously, he's the chairman of the board. I mean, he, he labors far and wide for the seminary. My only point is to say this: if you're gonna if you're gonna raise a family, if you're going to, um, it, it, you can't find really a better city uh, to raise a family in. Uh, Greenville is a fantastic city. Whether you go, choose to go to Greenville Seminary, you choose to go to Erskine. Um, it's a fantastic city uh, to raise a family. There's plenty to do. You got the mountains not too far away. A few hours drive, you're in the ocean. Um, I mean, it's just a great place. And um, this being said, great for Erskine. It's great for Greenville Seminary. Um, it's attractive uh, region of the country and um, cost of living is very low um, compared to the rest of the nation. And so um, yeah. just wanted to you know, get that in there, you know, regardless of where you go, um, it's just a great city to be in. That's and, right. Uh, and I think that's, you know, the, the faculty and the, and the board who are discussing the possibility really see that and, and find the Greenville idea much more attractive in terms of quality of life for students and faculty over sure. and against, um, Columbia or, or other possibilities. So this issue that it split the, well, not split, but separated the college, the the governmental aspects of it from the seminary. How long was this in the making? This came up. Just uh, this was put to the floor. This was not on the agenda. Uh, this came out of the blue, so to speak. Um, it, it was a motion from one of the the delegates who who just came to the microphone and made the motion. So uh, how long it's been in the works? There's been rumbling for a few years that it wasn't working, that it, it was a, a, a retrograde step to begin with. And so we need to go back to a separate board. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so someone just made the motion. The, the motion to support the, the seminary faculty and, and that, that was, everybody knew about that. That was public. But uh, the motion to work toward a separation was, was new. What's the timeline on that? As soon as it's practicable. Um, I think the wording of it was, let me find it. I've got it here. I mean, we're Presbyterian. So when you say, I mean, that could mean, you know, we never do anything. Yeah. Clear, what right? is deemed in the best that's interests of both. That's okay. the, that's the qualifier. So, um, you know, hmm. it, I imagine it wouldn't happen in a year. So it's probably a two, three, four year process. And this, 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 um, this action was well received by the, by the, by the Synod. It was, yeah, almost unanimous. There were a few voices, you know, less than a percentage, I would guess, uh, raised in opposition, but the vast majority of the Synod uh, voted for it. Sure. In your opinion, of course, and this is obviously just your opinion, um, how does this better position the seminary in the ARP um, as opposed to maybe what it's been doing currently or, or up till this point? Yeah, up till this point, the, the seminary, because of its connection with the college, there's there's been a a financial drain. Uh, the the mm -hmm. college charges the seminary certain fees for services rendered because it's on the campus, and right. uh, and the seminary's been feeding funds into the 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 college, and the college is in financial difficulty. So it, it's been something of a cash cow, and 
Mm. So that that's something that we're hoping to to change. Um, the other thing is that the seminary educates ARP ministers, but the vast majority of the students aren't ARP students. They're uh, coming from a variety of backgrounds, and the the question of relocation and what effect that will have on the demographic of the student body, that's something that needs to be closely examined. I'm not sure that that's been done yet and and how that might change things and, and the enrollment issues associated with that, I'm not sure where that, I'm sure that'll be part of the discussion. Sure. So practically, in your opinion, practically and theologically, this is really a bonus, a win for the seminary. I think it will be. I think uh, we'll see a, a continuing in a direction that we'd like to see. Uh, there are some good men who, who labor there. Uh, we wouldn't agree with all of their uh, positions uh, as Greenville men, certainly with regard to you know Genesis and those those perennial issues. But there are some men there who who definitely are godly, gracious men, and uh, I, I'm hoping that they can keep working to move the seminary in a in a more and more orthodox direction. Yeah, that's great. It's great to hear. I, it it's always encouraging when. I mean, that's somewhat of a monumental decision, at least as I understand it. And it's good to hear that it was so widely accepted. That's, you know, it's just encouraging. Yeah, it really it, is. It, when it comes that way. And so that was one of the uh, the bigger issues that, that you um, dealt with. There was another um, subject, well, actually two, um, kind of coming under the head of uh, theological and social concerns. What were those? And yeah, our, let's, let's summarize them. Our theological I'm social sure concerns. Yeah, I'm sure I have follow-up questions as you talk. Right. But. <laughs> the the committee was tasked with a, a couple of things um, in the at the 2015 meeting. Um, one of them was to examine. Well, actually, the the second one was an earlier meeting. But at the 2015 meeting, the committee was tasked with coming up with a position paper on women in looking at um, the enrollment of women in selective service, the possibility of that happening. Uh, the committee was charged and, and looked at position papers from our sister denominations, the RPCNA, the uh, OPC, and looked at their position papers. It came up with essentially uh, the same position that those denominations have and that there's no biblical basis uh, for requiring women to, to serve in the military. And then in fact, it's counter um, certainly in combat roles, it's counter to, to Scripture. And so our, our position was that uh, we stand that women ought not to be conscripted into military service or required to participate in military combat. So that, that's officially a position now. And, and the fact that it's officially a position, of course, would be helpful to those who, if uh, women were to be uh, drafted or, or registered under selective service, that they could point to a position of the denomination, say, on conscientious grounds, no, I, I'm, I'm declining to participate. Yeah, I was going to ask, it, it's one thing for the denomination to make these statements, but practically as it works itself out in the church, you know, uh, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, and if I have a young lady in my congregation who's, drafted or attempts to be drafted into the military i mean how does that practically help me um you kind of answered that but yeah but i think it's it's a pretty big issue and it's it's often discussed and if you're on the social media networks you, you see this discussion from time to time at least and right it's one we probably need to think through a little bit more or at least know where we're going to 
what we're going to do if it happens. And did that did that position paper give any kind of guidance to pastors, elders in the church as to what their response ought to be if in case that does happen? Yeah, they gave some uh, hints from our, our commission on chaplains and military personnel um, sections of, of their handbook, which dealt with uh, these issues and a number of helpful internet links that uh, from the OPC and, and different and the PCA uh, talking about how you can then, because your church has a position on this, you, you have the opportunity for, even though we're not pacifists, that we can say, no, our position on women is that we are conscientious objectors and that uh, that is our, our documented position. And so pastors could go with uh, young women or, or, or speak on their behalf or, or write a letter on their behalf pointing to these uh, documents and saying, no, this is the position of our denomination. This is not just somebody trying to dodge, pardon the pun, trying to dodge the draft, but uh, <laughs> th- this is really a, a thought-out theological position. No, that's great. I mean, it's very helpful. Is that available online on the ARP site yet, or will it be? It will be. It is not yet. Um, okay. It will be part of the minutes of Synod, but as far as I know, last time I checked about a week ago, it wasn't up there yet. But it okay, will be. very good. Well, that was the easy one. Oh, I'm, that was a joke, by the way. Yeah. Neither one of these are simple subjects. And but you're right. And it just it just <laughs> but it does stress the importance of the fact that in our world and our world views drive these things. As Christians, it's important as men uh, to come together to discuss and debate these issues and to come up with some positions. What does the Bible teach on these things? And this is one of the things that general synods do, or general assemblies do, or presbyteries do, sessions do. Um, we're Presbyterian, after all, and, exactly. and it's important to address these issues from a biblical worldview so we can help our congregations, because some of these things are very, very simply practical issues. Uh, women in combat, I, there's not a congregation on the planet, well, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but I, there's not a congregation in the United States, I would su- suggest, to say that this may not come to every congregation's door at some point. And being have to have helpful wisdom and guidance from from elders in the church on these issues is very very critical. But of course, as I said, it, it was a little bit of maybe the easier of the two. The other issue was the other issue was a report on race relations in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Uh, that was about a forty page paper that uh, looked at the history of these questions in the ARPC, and because. Uh, the Synod of the Carolinas, the originating Synod of the ARP, uh, was in the Carolinas, and, and a large number of, of its membership uh, were slave owners at one time. Uh, this obviously is an issue that strikes at the heart of who we are in the ARP. And so uh, there's a, a very good uh, section in this paper on the history, the development of this question, and, and related to the development of the denomination, why it seceded from the larger uh, ARP because of the whole uh, whole issue of manumission and and the fact that it became a, a theological um, imperative in in the Northern Church and uh, so there's a historical discussion. Then there's some exegetical considerations. Some uh, there's there's a good ten pages of exegetical considerations, theological reflections, and then a very helpful. Uh, another 10 pages or so of pastoral application, just talking about how this makes a difference t- 
today in our churches, because many of our churches still are Southern churches. And uh, as we've seen in the United States in the last uh, couple of months, the whole race uh, relations issue is heating up rather than cooling down, it seems. And uh, so questions that uh, might come up as as pastors related to our denominational history. How do we deal with those and how do we answer those? And and the paper does a a fantastic job of addressing those. And it was adopted not unanimously, but uh, certainly overwhelmingly. There were still some who who didn't want to adopt the paper. And I don't think for racist reasons. Uh, They were thinking more of of practical reasons of saying we're just jumping on the bandwagon because this has been a popular, like you said, in our pre-discussion in the Mm -hmm. PCA and and places. But this discussion started earlier in our denomination than it did in the PCA. And, of course, our history is longer than the PCAs. So uh, So that's it, two, two to zero. Yeah, we're all, we're already losing. Yeah. I'm kidding. No, but it, <laughs> it's a little friendly inter interdenominational banter. Yeah. yeah, but you know, both for both reasons, uh, it, it it's an important question, and and I think the the conclusions of the paper are are excellent, um, just well constructed theologically, well thought out. There's it's not just a knee jerk apology. It's a thought-out theological position on this subject, which mm-hmm. repents of theological error of the past as a denomination, but also um, articulates, I think, historically why some things happened the way they did, and uh, doesn't necessarily doesn't make apology for for history, but perhaps for some of the bad decisions that that were made as a reaction to some of that history. So it's it's well well done. Yeah, I I don't know how familiar you are with Overture Forty Three of the most recent PCA General Assembly. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. How is the, what the ARP did differ, and how is it similar? I think it's much more nuanced. Um, I I want to be really careful here. I realize I asked a dangerous. Yeah, question. you did. Um, if you took the PCA question and and uh, really broadened it and expanded it uh, historically mm-hmm. and theologically, I think you might come to a similar conclusion. I, I, I just think that our I, I, I'm going to brag on our Theological and Social Concerns Committee and the chairman, uh, Ben Glazer from Mississippi, mm-hmm. just a, a very competent theologian and uh, the men on the committee with him, competent theologians. So it, it's a paper that doesn't shy away from the hard questions, but it doesn't give knee-jerk responses. It's not just a, we need to do this because the world is looking. It is mm-hmm. a, we need to do this because this is biblically right and true. And there have been places of error in our um, theological practice, and we need to address those theologically and not just socially. And I think that is the strength of the ARP response over and against just the impression I've had of some of the discussion in the PCA. Yeah, well well, well said, and, and I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to set you up or anything, I was just... Uh, no. Given the climate, I think you know you've you've touched on that a couple times as far as it relates to there's this tendency uh, to kind of get wagged around by the world, and so the climate of the world is you know jump on this whole race issue, and so we need to too. Um, sounds to me like 
you try to avoid that and realize, look at this from a strictly theological question as it relates to your history and going forward. And that, I mean, that's the substance of the question, really, anyway. But, it, I mean, it is an important subject and one we still need to keep thinking through. But, the, the, again, I emphasize the benefit of having these kinds of uh, deliberative bodies that, that labor in some of these more difficult questions and mm. then being able to give guidance to the churches for guys like me who are just simpletons and who just need help with understanding some of these matters. And um, that that's the one of the beauties of being Presbyterian. Um, Jeff, as we kind of wrap up here, um, give me the average day in the ARP General Synod. That's one of the what's things a, that I love about the ARP Synod is we meet for a very short uh time, really only three three to four days. Sometimes we go into Friday morning. But every sederant, every session uh, begins with a worship service, a full worship service. We have mm. uh, not singing many hymns, but we sing a, a hymn or a psalm. Uh, we have uh, a, a sermon, an exposition, uh, usually on the theme of that year's Synod, but but not necessarily. That depends on the moderator and his instruction to those who are leading worship. But worship takes up, you know, forty to forty minutes to to an hour sometimes of of each, you know, morning, noon, and night. Every session begins with that worship, and I I must say that this year the exposition was by men who would not be. Uh, you know, A-listers, so to speak, uh, just mm-hmm. ma- average men. Uh, they're not average by any means, but they're they're serving regular ARP congregations. They're not on the conference circuit. They're just the men who are bringing the word week by week to their congregations. And they preached uh, a number of them. And I thought the preaching at this year's synod was exceptional. It was the best I've ever heard at any any synod or assembly. Uh, but uh, it was it was stellar, and we often break for prayer. The moderator has the prerogative of calling the assembly to prayer at any point, and whenever it seems to get sticky, uh, the moderator just calls for a, a time of prayer, and we we've gathered in small groups, or we pray individually, or someone leads us in prayer. It varies, and uh, it, it seems you know we're taking all that time in prayer. Some people got a little anxious about it uh, at points, but. Uh, for that time spent in worship and prayer, I, I really believe the Lord honors that, and we get through the business expeditiously. Well, that's great. I'm very encouraged by that, frankly. I, I mean, well, I can say this now. I'm a minister in the PCA. I wish our, I wish our General Assembly did that more often. Mm-hmm. I'll be perfectly honest, because as you well know, when you put a bunch of men in a room and you get dealing with some of the you know topics that we've even talked about with your general synod but even in our own denominations sometimes tensions get high and emotions start going who knows sideways and you know we are frail men and we're prone to sin and man it would be just great to take a you know a pause and we look we need to pray about this we need to think think about what we're doing and pray about this and ask for the lord's guidance and wisdom it's his church yeah and i just wish we did that more uh not less i mean sometimes i feel like in some cases we're just so eager to get done and get through the business that we sort of forget that part of the equation. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not, I'm just speaking for Bill. Um, I, I, I suspect I'm not alone in that feeling because it happens. And it, it's really encouraging to hear that, that that goes on. It really does encourages me anyway mm-hmm. to hear that. 
Um, speaking of moderator, who was your moderator this year? Our moderator this year was uh, Mr. Phil Williams. He's a, a ruling elder um, in, from North Carolina, and uh, he had some heart issues. He had a stent put in, actually, one week oh, before dear. the synod. And uh, so our vice moderator, uh, Patrick Malfris, actually uh, chaired most of the meeting uh with Mr. Williams uh, watching, but uh, so Phil Williams and he he set a, a wonderful tone for the synod, and then uh, the in the elected we elect our moderators for the next year. Uh, the incoming moderator for next year will be Mr. Lee Shellnut or Reverend Lee Shellnut, uh, who is a, a pastor again from uh, the Carolinas and uh, a stellar. Um, background uh, pedigree he's he's a, a gifted able theologian very mission-minded and sure. uh yeah i i does a lot of mentoring with young pastors overseas very and impressed he's the, and he's from the carolinas yeah I mean, how, Huntersville. how can you go how can you go wrong that's right sounds sounds like a perfect I, combo right bill i can't i can't escape the carolinas i was going from south carolina to north carolina that's right well i mean that in the right way yeah. escape um you you actually raised something very interesting to me that I, I'd never even considered. So you vote for your next year's moderator in this year's meeting. At the end of the meeting, we vote for next year's moderator. Oh. Yeah. Is there like a polity reason for that, or is it just the way you've always done it? Or It, it allows for a year of, of transition and, and continuity then, so that um, the incoming moderator is is an apprentice to the to the serving moderator and uh, can ask questions and, and just be briefed on on the various things that are going on. And it it gives us, I, I think it's, when I, I first came into it, I thought it was a little strange, but as I've looked at it functioning, it does mm. give a, a real degree of continuity that uh, isn't always there in, in other systems. That That's, I actually, that, I think that's a great idea. Of course, you guys have been doing it a lot longer, so you should have all these things mastered by now. Yeah, a lot of those things uh, they do. Uh, the ARP. I'm I'm a relative newcomer to the ARP, only about 16 years, and uh, I came out of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, where I was educated, and and uh, yeah. you know, which was a very polity savvy group, and uh, uh, the ARP is is equally, except they don't have as many Latin phrases in their their operations, but. Yeah, no, yep. Well, you're certainly not as old as the ARP. Now, you don't want to admit, you wouldn't want to admit to that anyway. Um, but in your opinion, Jeff, what's the state of the ARP, right? You know, if you, you know, if you just summarize the state of the ARP, it's good, it's healthy, it's, it's, you know, that kind of thing. It's good. It's, uh, it's encouraging. I, I've seen a continual growth continual move in a, in a more orthodox direction. There are issues. There there are a lot of... Which will be. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of small congregations in the South that are just shutting down because they're rural, nobody's moving into the area, but they haven't done evangelism. They haven't reached out. And, and in some cases, you know, there isn't much population to reach out to. But uh, that that's an excuse, I think. Um, we need to be more aggressive, uh, not just for numbers, but for the kingdom. Uh, I, I think we've been a little bit content to be who we are and, and look at ourselves in the mirror and go, well, you know, we're not doing too bad. Uh, we need kind of the fat, fat and happy syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and historical and all those things. And, you know, and 
I love the South. I mean, I go back and forth to the South a lot. Being a Canadian, I, I've developed a lot of affinity for uh, things Southern, but there, there can be a, a Southern uh, politeness sometimes that gets in the way of doing things. And, uh, that, that can be a little frustrating at, at points. Yeah, there's targets all over the place, <laughs> at, and I'm not going to aim at any of them. Yeah, I'm not from the South either, as everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, this is not a secret. I've been doing this podcast for five years. Um, this is like the 117th program I've done. I've learned more than I could have ever said, and I've been very thankful for it. But everybody knows I'm from New York, and yeah. Um, no, you're right. I mean, there is that sense. But, he, you know, I, I was just thinking, Jeff, as you were talking about that, small churches and, and shutting down and, and you know, I pastor a small church now, and I'm so thankful for this congregation. I, it almost makes me want to cry. Mm. And um, but, but one of the things that I, I feel pressed by is what just what Christ said at the end of his time on earth when he told his disciples, go. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, uh, you may be a small congregation. We are. But trying to instill in the people the idea that Christ told us to go. He told us to go. And we can't go to Africa, but you can go to Marion. You can go to that that town you where you're living. You can talk to people at the gas station, you who you work with. You can communicate these things and and oftentimes that's the the key because frankly most people just aren't going to wander in off the street. If they're invited to come to church that you have a better chance that they're going to come. Absolutely. They may not come but they have a, there's a better chance that they're going to. Yep. Because it's a scary thing to walk into a church that you don't know anybody. Yep. And uh, so it's this whole idea of going and reaching out into the community. I just had lunch with a, another PCA minister and asked him, of course, the same question every minister asked every other minister whenever they get together. So how big is your church? How many members do you have? I almost get tired of that question. Yeah. And um, they, have, they have 114 on the rolls. I have 20. Mm. Yeah. I could discourage me or I can just say, you know, need to go. That's right. Need to and communicate the, 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 the kingdom of Christ, his kingdom. It's the gospel. It is the gospel. It is only the gospel that's going to solve and change lives. Yep. That's it. Yep. And do it that way. And it's not different for the ARP or anywhere else. And I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure, yep. by saying all of that. Absolutely. Next year, you're, you're meeting, obviously, at Bon Clarkin. Um, we are. Unless... You're making a big change. Well, let me put a plug in here. We've been invited by the RPCNA to a concurrent synod with them up north somewhere. The the really? destination hasn't been hammered out yet, but uh, they came down last year and met with us at Bon Clarkin, and so they have in turn uh, extended the invitation for 2019. So there may be a, a new historical synod uh, on the. Uh, you know, in the near future, in 2019, where the ARP will meet somewhere else, that would be earth-shaking, but it would be a wonderful thing. I'm really encouraged and thankful to our RP brothers for that invitation. Yeah, and we've got, we've got at least one student at Greenville Seminary who's under care and licensed by the RPCNA. <laughs> uh, and I just... Just a curiosity question, is is the ARP exclusive psalmody? No, it wasn't until 1946. And in 1946, a, th a study committee came and uh, recommended the use of, you know, theologically sound hymns. And, uh, yeah, that was earth-shaking. Um, but uh, it is now the common practice in the ARP. We do have some exclusive psalm singing congregations, but they are definitely in the minority. Yep. The only reason I asked that question is because obviously I think listeners here RPCNA they're going to make that connection. Are you guys that? No. Okay. Yeah. So just goes to show you that 
differing opinions on those things, you can still work together. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine that. Yeah, it's, it's possible. It's been great. It's, and, it's in, and it's encouraging to hear. Jeff, any final words, plugs for the seminary? Um, well, I'll, I'll go back to something you said earlier in the interview that uh, I, I forget what exactly you said, but something to the effect that you're a bit slow. And uh, I've got to say, Bill, <laughs> that uh, you graduated from Greenville. You can't be completely slow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'm slowing down every year. But uh, just... As I'm encouraged with ARP, I'm so encouraged with what's going on at the seminary. I'm encouraged by some of the faculty hires. I'm encouraged by, by some of the thinking that's going on in, in reference to administrative issues. Uh, I think that in God's providence, the best years of Greenville Seminary are yet coming. And uh, I pray that we would be found faithful to... Uh, that stewardship of using the gifts God's given us and that uh, many more men would be encouraged to come and train with us and just be refreshed as they uh, sit under the, the teaching of, of great and godly men. So uh, I, I'm really excited about where Greenville's going. Yeah, it's well said. And, and Dr. Pipo, as I was getting ready to graduate, when uh, the faculty and then I guess ultimately the board agreed on the edu- some of the academic changes that were made, um, which I'm thrilled with, frankly. And, and he, But he jokingly told me, he goes, you might want to just stick around for a few more years because of these changes they're making. And, and of course, I responded, no, thank you. I'm done. I've had enough. Um, <laughs> but, and I had. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. Everybody knows this. I just was re- eager to get out there and, and start doing what I've been taught. And But the, the, the thing is, is that some of the academic changes are really, really great. With the uh, bringing on Dr. Ryan McGraw, um, who with the listeners to this pro- podcast know very well, he's been on many times. Mm-hmm. Dr. To- uh, Dr. Michael Morales, um, I-, I didn't know what biblical theology was, frankly, until I sat in his classes, and it's completely changed the way I, I even work on sermons. Yeah. Um, it's just given me a whole set of lenses that I didn't have before and tools I didn't even know existed, and now they're in my toolbox. Yeah. And so it is really an exciting time, and there are big things uh, yet coming down the road. So, and, and something that, Jeff, you mentioned that I fail to say, I don't say enough, but those that listen to this podcast, uh, pray for the seminary. Uh, you know, we're like everything else. Uh, we, need, we depend on the Lord. We, the, the school depends on God's goodness and providence and, and compassion and grace, and pray that the Lord will continue to um, continue to shine his face upon the school and that this faculty and the staff would remain faithful to the word of God and our confessions that we uphold. Amen. Um, pray for that. Um, and at the end of the day, that's, that's what's going to keep it going. It's, it's not our efforts. It's not our might. It's the Lord and him alone. So Absolutely. it's a great reminder um, from the chairman of the board of trustees. Any final concluding words? Jeff, any pot shots about me being a United States guy and you're a Canadian Canadian or No, no, I, I'm I'm half my kids live in the States. So I, I've reconciled myself to I that. Was gonna, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, you probably <laughs> probably don't have anything else to say about that. But uh, no, you know, it's always great having you on. You're um, engaging, it's enjoyable to talk with you about these things and it's it, it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing yeah. in one of our sister 
denominations, all for the good of the glory of his name and the gospel. Amen. It's been good to be with you, Bill. Thank you. You bet, Jeff. Hold on just a minute while I wrap things up. Let me just tell everybody really fast. I'm not going to belabor this um, as I usually do, um, but coming up on um, the program, we're going to be talking with uh, Daniel Jarsifer. He is also a board member of Greenville Seminary, and he's going to be on to talk about the 2016 General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. Now, that discussion will probably have a little bit different flavor. I'll just warn you up front. I was also um, a teaching elder in the PCA. I was there, and so both Daniel Jarstifer and, and I were there, present. And so it'll be a, probably a little different flavor in discussion because I'll probably have more to say than I normally do, which ought to scare everybody. Um, but um, look forward to that coming up. Uh, next week. Uh, after, uh, the week after, Dr. Ben Shaw and Dr. Sid Dyer, both professors at the seminary, will be on to talk about the importance, the value, the necessity of the biblical languages. I, I've already recorded it. It's a fantastic discussion, and I look forward to getting it out there um, very, very soon. The week after that, Dr. Ryan McGraw will be on to talk about is the Trinity practical. Again, I've already recorded that program as well. It was very encouraging and very edifying. Um, It almost made me cry at the end. It was so good. Mm -hmm. So look forward to those programs coming up on the podcast. And and again, if you have any questions about the seminary, you can write the seminary at info at gpts.edu. Somebody will get back to you very, very quickly. Um, If you have questions for me, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. So until next week, when we talk with uh, Daniel Jarstifer, he's the pastor of Christ Our Hope Presbyterian Church. That's a PCA congregation. Uh, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.